world was in the chokehold of darkness. At the time of Jesus' birth, the people thought it was a political chokehold of darkness. But in reality, darkness was coming from the author of darkness and had come across the globe in all of its forces, not only taking on political movements and leaders and nations, but the hearts of the individuals. The nation that Jesus was coming to were in denial. They thought that they had, that they had everything together when in reality they were in some of the darkest places of, of this chokehold of darkness. And it was into this that God chose to bring his light. His light in the form of himself, Jesus, into that dark place. The story of Jesus' birth is full of divine encounters. The shepherds saw the angels and had an announcement. The wise men, while they didn't actually encounter the angels in person, they saw the star which was made up of a company, a host of angels. Mary and Joseph encountered the angel Gabriel, as well as Zechariah, and in fact, Elizabeth had to have encountered something divine when her son gave her a kick in the belly to let her know that she was in the presence of the Messiah. These divine encounters were so powerful that those who experienced them could not hold back. They sang songs. They prophesied. And for those that couldn't sing and carry a tune and didn't know anything about prophecy, they just told their stories. And they went from place to place, the Bible says, letting that news go out through the hillsides of the Judean countryside. The encounters weren't random. They were ordained by God for a purpose. He wanted us to see what it looks like when light starts to come into darkness and it encounters individuals. And those individuals are changed by the light. And as light enters into the individual and they share with others, the light grows and it multiplies and it goes out to the world. So no, those divine encounters weren't just random acts that happened. They had purpose and meaning, and God was beginning to illuminate the world in the presence of Jesus. These insights that happened to the individuals are also ones that can come home to our hearts. As we look at our own lives, and as you think about your life, sometimes it's important to say, you know what? I may not even feel the darkness I, li I live in. I may not even see it. I could be like Israel, needing to see where I am at as an individual. And so today, as, as we continue on with this story of Jesus and his light coming into the world, I invite you to also be looking in your own heart. Thinking of where are the places where your life is getting masked over, where you're not seeing the strongholds in your life that are choking the life right out of you, where you need light to come in and make a difference in your life. Over the weeks that have been leading up to Christmas, we've looked at songs and testimonies of individuals who have encountered these divine moments. The songs of expectation, as we've been talking about here. 
And today is no different. We're going to be looking at another one of those individuals who, can, who came in contact with a divine event, and it made a difference not only in his life, but the lives of those around him. Our person today that we are looking at is Simeon, and looking at the song of Simeon. Simeon's song, or prophecy, is a fascinating one. Others that were in the nativity story experienced those moments where they actually encountered an individual like the angels. And in Elizabeth's case, she got a kick. Simeon, on the other hand, there's really no physical evidence of anything that happened except what poured out from his heart and from the inside. Simeon's encounter was completely orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. And it was, an, it was an encounter that didn't just happen in a moment. In fact, it was an encounter that had been led up to throughout his lifetime. And he had been told that he was going to have a moment where he would meet the Messiah. And like all the other encounters, his encounter didn't just affect him. It affected others. So included in this experience is also Joseph and Mary. There's also the widow Anna, as well as the priests who are in the temple. So we're going to start out today by reading the story coming out of the book of Luke. Luke chapter 2, verses 22 and on, says this. When the time came for the purification rites, required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was custom, the custom of the law, do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. What is it about Simeon's song that sends a tingling up my spine? It's one of those stories that just moves me whenever I read it. In one moment, Simeon seems to enter the very throne room of God and show us that he has found the meaning of life, the thing that so many people are searching for, so many people of his time were searching for. 
As a pastor, one of the most powerful parts of my ministry has been also one of the hardest ones, and that is to be in the room with a person who is about to have their last moments here on this earth. They're about to die. Sometimes in those places, in fact, for me, I think just about every time I've been in that scenario, there's a sense that I have somehow stepped outside of this world into the realm of the universe of God and into that throne room. And I'm there with just that other person and God. It's a place where as I'm standing in that place, I realize that for that person, nothing else matters anymore. Accomplishments don't matter. Social positions aren't important anymore. And material possessions have no bearing. The only thing that's important is the relationship the individual has with their creator. I've come away in awe from those moments, almost feeling unworthy to have been there, and realizing deep within myself that that is the most important place in life, is knowing where I stand with my creator, where every one of us stands with our creator. It's a holy place. And this is the place that Simeon enters into with the Holy Spirit. Interestingly, we don't know that Simeon dies right after this. We don't know that that his life is, that's the very end of his life. In fact, he could have lived for many years. But in, in in the way he expresses his encounter with God at that moment, we realize he has come to that place where he sees that nothing else matters. All that matters is the baby that he holds in his arms. All that matters is Jesus, the Messiah, the Redeemer. No longer is Simeon tied to the world and its demands. He only sees Jesus. Interesting, if you think about this, Simeon most likely didn't live to see any of Jesus' miracles or to hear his beautiful parables that he told. And in some ways, if you think about it, I think, man, he kind of got the short end of the deal. God almost let him down. Because here he was looking forward to the Messiah. He was looking forward to what the Messiah was going to do, most likely. And instead, he just got the infant. He got the infant to hold. The infant didn't, didn't tell him anything new. There was no preaching that happened from the infant. Simeon's life in terms of of the daily life that surrounded him wasn't necessarily changed by the infant. And yet it was an internal transformation that comes out in his words. Simeon isn't alone in the lineage of people who never really see the fullness of what God is doing. Maybe never get to see the miracles, never get to see the grand finale that happens. And I think even in the, in the story of Jesus, we have John the Baptist, who's part of this, this birth story. He's woven right in there into the, the conception and birth of Jesus. 
But John the Baptist never saw the end of Jesus' ministry. Think about Joseph. Joseph and Mary. Joseph died before the miracles even started. He probably just saw the ridicule that Jesus experienced. Very possibly the wise men never knew any more about the baby that they had come to worship. Most likely they went back and they prepared a fertile ground for the gospel when it finally came into their region. But in their own personal lives, we don't hear anything more about the wise men. Throughout millennia of time here on earth, people have lived and died, not seeing the big picture, but clinging to the little gem that God has given them, the one that has been revealed to them. Hebrews eleven thirteen through 16 gives us a glimpse into this truth. It says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country that they had left, they would have an opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. The fulfillment of Simeon's life really is in his declaration. Let your servant now depart in peace, for I have seen your salvation. In that moment, the bondage of the world had totally released its hold on Simeon. Simeon had complete freedom and liberation in the presence of Jesus. I wonder in our lives, in your life, in my life, do you long to have that kind of freedom, that release from the pressures of the world that, that want to tell you and manipulate you and move you in life, and really you're just longing for something deeper, something that has more meaning, something that has value? I know I experience that, and that's why I think as I read this story and experience it, my own heart cries out with Simeon's, and I long for that experience. Sometimes, even though intellectually I know, what's, I know Jesus is the most important thing, I get caught up in the cares of this world. The things that are distracting, the things that take my attention, the things that make me worried and anxious and, and fearful, those are the things I'll, I'll give my, my energy to, rather than realizing those things don't matter. Jesus is what matters. Simeon was free to live without worry or hunger for power, free to be the person he was created to be. And that was the gift he held in the person of Jesus in his arms. Let's look at some of the other players in this story. Let's look at Mary and Joseph. The text goes on in Luke, says the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. 
Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the hearts, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Jesus was described as a stone that made men stumble. He was one that even he described himself and and the truth coming through him as being like a sword that would divide. Not in, in a violent way, not in a destructive way, but an opening way, an opening of all the layers of sin and the chokeholds of sin that had existed for, for years and years and opening up to places of realness in people's lives. This prophecy by Simeon illuminates this characteristic of Jesus, of the infant babe who would come and make people who were hard and cold and calloused open their hearts and experience love and give love like they had never done before. If you think about Mary and Joseph's encounter, and most likely the most important part here might be to focus on Mary, in the moment it was a miraculous and beautiful confirmation that God was involved in this process. But in the years to come, it presented, Simeon's words, that is, presented the sorrow and brokenness that Mary was going to experience. And yet, it was most likely this prophecy that Mary treasured in her darkest times, because she knew that God had seen ahead her sorrow and her suffering and and the road she would travel, and she could hold on to that knowing that he cared from the very beginning. When Joseph died, she was the one who alone bore the crucifixion of Jesus. No one else had lived this story with her like Joseph had. And yet, she was alone dealing with that. And so the comfort of knowing that God had thought of her ahead was huge. Sometimes divine interventions happen in order to give us something to hang on to. Sometimes we'll look at a divine intervention and say, well, you know, it needed to come out all rosy in the end. And sometimes God is just saying, you know what? I am with you. I will go with you through whatever you have to bear. Two weeks ago, when I was presiding, I shared with you how excited I was that God had worked an incredible miracle in our family. Our house was, was ready to close, and right at the last moment when we were supposed to sign, we found out we needed to have a, uh, a structural inspection done and an re- engineering report, and we'd need to do that before we could close. Well, it worked out beautifully, and, and where many of the, the engineering companies had dates that were clear out into January, through a miraculous turn of events, we were able to get someone the very day I tried to look for it. And so I was blessed. And as I went through that, I thought, you know what? I still don't know what the future of my house sale holds, 
but I know that God was in this. I have no doubt. Well, little did I know that as I was sharing that two Sabbaths ago, that there was a whole other drama that had happened and was, was just percolating under the surface that I knew nothing about. Monday, I went back to my house, and I was going through and doing some work, and as I was leaving the house, I looked at the side, the side corner of the exterior, and it was evident somebody had come down my driveway, and it was snowy. They had slid down the driveway in the snow, and they had ran into the side of my house. It had a big dent. The gutter was dented. There was, there, it was amazing, and there was no note. And so I, I sat there amazed, thinking, you know what? Here I have a hit and run on my house. I'm supposed to close, but this isn't going to be closing anytime soon. And so I, I called the police, started to work on a police report. Eventually, and I'll, I'll just tell you the story, it, it was resolved. We had, it turned out it was a Culligan water guy that took the wrong turn. He was going to my neighbor, and instead he came to my house, and he just went right down the driveway. And so there was good insurance that ended up covering everything. But as I was looking at that, I thought, you know what? Every little step along the way, I was, I was feeling stressed about thinking, how is this going to work out? But at the same time, I remembered what God had just done, how he had worked out something beautiful in our situation. And I thought, you know what? That is just how God does. Sometimes he just gives us little things along the way that say, you know what? I'm just with you. Now, that doesn't mean that everything still is going to work out perfect always, but it's a little glimmer of light that shines in darkness for you to hold on to, for me to hold on to, that says, you know what? He's got this. There is a beautiful end to my house story. We closed this week. So that's beautiful. We're still looking for a house though. So that part is, is still out there, but God is good. He's taking care of us. And it's something I've had to remind myself over and over through this process. God's got this. He's going to take care of it. Sometimes it doesn't work out beautifully, like I mentioned. I think of the I Still Believe movie by Jeremy Camp, about Jeremy Camp, where his wife is sick with cancer and, and it looks like she's not going to make it. They have a lot of prayer. And she's miraculously healed. And in fact, if I remember right in the story, they tried to remember if they'd gotten married before that or after that. But anyway, they, they were married just a short time and then the cancer returned and his wife died. When I look at a story like that, once again, it's one of those ones where God was involved I believe a miracle happened. The miracle wasn't to just make everything come out rosy in the end, however. The miracle was to say, I am with you through whatever you have to go through. Whatever you go through, I am still God. So as I look at Jesus coming into the life of Mary, Mary needed a little glimmer of light to hold her together when she got to the cross. 
We need miracles and light along the way in places so that we can go back and say, yes, God was there and he will be here through this experience I'm going through. God has never promised his followers that we would be free from challenges, sorrow, or suffering, but he offers a freedom and liberation that goes beyond these. The ability to be free, even in the midst of discouragement, trauma, suffering, and sorrow. And notice, when we talk about those words, those come with feelings. So sometimes, Someone who believes in God is still going to have the feelings of sorrow and suffering and all those sorts of things going on. But Mary's story is to remind us that just like God thought of her from the very beginning of this journey, he's thinking of you too in whatever you're going through. And he wants to show you glimmers of light and hope in your journey. Another player in this story, another character, is Anna. We'll continue on with what the scripture says here. It says, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. I can just see this woman, a bubbly spring of inspiration. She didn't experience everything that Mary did. She didn't hear all of the the promptings of the Holy Spirit necessarily that, that Simeon had. She was a prophet, however, so she was, came up at the right time. The Spirit brought them all together. But her job was to go out and be bubbly and share the news of what was going on. She was the sanctified gossip for the story. She took it to anyone she could find in the temple court and beyond. As I think of these characters, God had something for everybody, but are all hinged upon that place of realizing what was the most important thing. For Simeon, for Mary, for Anna, and then embracing that place of importance. Jesus himself. The biggest tragedy of the whole story are the priests. The priests, the ones who actually were the ones doing the dedication of Jesus. It should have been in the priest's arms that his his divinity and messiahship was revealed. It should have been the priests that were moved to repentance and and a decision to follow him no matter what it cost. And yet the tragedy is, in this story, the priests saw nothing And they heard nothing. Now they may have heard Simeon. They may have heard his voice. They may have heard the words spoken. They may have had and most likely had the opportunity to embrace Jesus at that moment. Not all was lost. But there's no record of it. The story of the priests is silent. They're not mentioned. 
We assume they were there. That's what a parent would do bringing a child to be dedicated was bring them to the priest. But the priest's story is silent. It moves me to say, you know what? I don't want to be silent. I want to experience Jesus the way he wants me to experience him. This story reveals that God is real and touchable. He wants us to embrace him. Not only in our hearts, but physically embrace him. And someday we'll get to do a physical embrace. He loves to interact with us on all levels. I'm going to show you a picture here. I was looking for a picture of Simeon and, uh, and Jesus. And this picture was one that I thought was kind of fun. But then I started looking at Simeon's hands. And I thought, I just can't picture this happening. Here this man has just met the one who is going to save him and save Israel, and he's holding him in his hands, kind of like he doesn't know what to do with him. When I picture Simeon and Jesus, he is embracing him and can't let go of that baby because it is his hope and his joy. So God is real and touchable. Also in this story, we know that God fulfills his promises. Simeon testifies to this. God is not dead. He's alive and active in our lives. God also opens the eyes of the blind. In a sense, you could say, we're all blind. How do we know what God is doing? But God opened Simeon's eyes to see the baby at the right time. He opened the heart of, of, of Anna to come at just the right moment. To encounter Jesus. He brought Mary and Joseph there into that moment all together. And in fact, I'm guessing he invited the priests of that day to be part of this as well, but they just didn't let their eyes be opened. So God is touchable. He reveals his promises and he's faithful with those promises. He opens the eyes of the blind. And if you're blind today, if you feel like you can't see Jesus, he wants to become visible to you. I've prayed that prayer many times. Asking God to open my eyes because I'm just too dead, dry, worn out, whatever it is, to really see him. Sometimes it takes a while. But he doesn't fail. And then finally, in, in Simeon's prophetic song, he says, that God's glory will transform the world. It's a whole world experience. Good enough for everybody, both Jew and Gentile. And what is it that Simeon says will be seen? It's God's glory. When Moses asked to see God's glory, that glory was his goodness. His love, his mercy, those are the things that are available to us if we embrace the baby as Simeon did. Today, I don't know what kind of a, a chokehold darkness has in your life. Sometimes it can be very real things in our lives that are maybe oppressing us, 
Sometimes darkness can come in the form of, of an escape, of a way that we try and fill our lives with something to drown out pain or, or some other experience that's going on. Darkness can even just come as a, as a feeling that comes over you. You know, with this pandemic, it can be one of those things where you're actually maybe not sick, maybe not having financial problems. Some of you might be having financial problems, but some might not. And you're just sitting there, but you feel the darkness. Into any of these places, Jesus can be the light that can set you free, that can give you liberation. He offers you that place in between the worlds, that place where, where everything is swept away and you embrace what's important. Today, that's the invitation to us, to embrace him, to hold on to him, to let him transform us to the very deepest part of our core. I'm going to conclude today by reading you the lyrics of a song that I've loved for many years. It's a song by Michael Card, and it talks about Simeon. It talks about this encounter in the temple. And as I read through this, as I come to the end of it, I'm just going to let it hang there with you for you to absorb the meaning for whatever God is speaking to your heart about today. The lyrics go, go like this. An old man in the temple, waiting in the court, waiting for the answer to a promise. And all at once, he sees them in the morning sunlight. A couple coming in, carrying a baby. Now that I've held him in my arms, my life can come to an end. Let your servant now depart in peace, because I've seen your salvation. He's the light of the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Mary and the baby come, and in her hand five shekels, the price to redeem a baby boy. The baby is softly cooing, Nestled in her arms, Simeon takes the boy and starts to sing. Now that I've held him in my arms, my life can come to an end. Let your servant now depart in peace, because I've seen your salvation. He's the light of the Gentiles and the glory of his people Israel. And now's where the song turns to you and me. Now's the time to take him in your arms. Your life will never come to an end. He's the only way that you'll find peace. He'll give you salvation. He's the light of the Gentiles and the glory of his people, Israel.
Again, thank you for joining us this week. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and we're so glad you worshiped with us this Sabbath. Please let us know where you're joining us from. You can send us a message on our social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, on our church website. And we pray that you have a wonderful week and God's richest blessings go with you.